Now, please join me in welcoming the 44th President of the United States of America, Barack Obama, to South by Southwest 2016. Hello, Spacers. I'm Christopher Schmidt, and I'm talking with Simon St. Laurent, co-chair of the Fluent Conference this week. The Fluent Conference is a front-end technology conference, and it recently wrapped up in San Francisco. On the heels of Fluent, South by Southwest Interactive in Austin, Texas, landed probably the biggest keynote speaker there ever could be for an industry conference, a sitting United States president. And he had some thoughts on tech and society. So this week, I thought it'd be great if Simon and I could talk about both South by Southwest and Fluent and what it means for our industry and what we uh, feel is where the industry is going. Some notes on what I'm doing. Have you registered yet? The Responsive Web Design Summit is next week. It's a three-day virtual conference that covers the latest in web performance, responsive images, SVG, and a whole lot more. I'll be emceeing it. Um, and so it's a great place to ask questions directly to speakers and fellow developers. And if you can't make it or if you make it, you can watch the recordings afterwards as many times as you want. But you have to register to get the recordings. So you can register at rwdsummit.com. Also, it's CSS DevConf is a conference that tackles CSS and much more SAS, post-SAS, JavaScript, React, and a lot more than that. We recently announced feature speakers, included Rachel Andrews, Chris Collier, Trent Walton, Jonathan Snook, Estelle Weil, and Sarah Drasner. And you, yeah, you can be a speaker. The call for sessions is out right now, but it won't be out for a long time. It ends April 1st. No fooling. So if you want to speak at uh, with all these great other speakers, have a great time at a great conference. It's our fifth year doing this uh, conference, and it's, it's always a wonderful time. Uh, this year it's in San Antonio, Texas, uh, near the Alamo. So for more information, uh, including uh, registration, also more information about how to submit, go to cssdevconf.com. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I try to be witty in spite of my many typos. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about Non-Breaking Space Show on iTunes. Or if you want to set it and forget it, have the show set straight to your email inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find show notes and links and more at nonbreakingspace.tv. Now, on with the show. But yeah, so how's it been? How's it? How, how, you have just uh, flown in, sort of. Not really, but... Uh, Good hope. <laughs> you're recovering... You're, you're from the Fluent Conference in San Francisco? Is that where it was? Yeah, it was in San Francisco. Uh, all kinds of energy, even though it was deep in a basement. Oh, okay. um, clearly, there are a lot of folks who want to know where uh, where the web is going, who mm-hmm. want to find out about their favorite framework, who were you know, just excited to see how all these pieces come together. Okay, and so some people who don't know, like, what type of people are, like, what type, what, what was the purpose of Fluent? Just, like, what type well, of people do you interact so Fluent is mostly attracts an audience of folks I think of as front-end developers or front-end engineers. Okay. Um, so it tilts to the programming side of the web, but it definitely has like lots of design conversations, lots of you know core CSS stuff. 
Um, like what's new in CSS layout was uh, was a good conversation there. But so was React and Angular and all of that. Okay, cool. So it's a front end conference. Okay, cool. So yeah. what, what were the discussions? And you, and you are the co-chair, is that right? That's right. Okay. That's right. right. I so. am, uh, with Peter Cooper, mm-hmm. who uh, does Cooper Press, which has a lot of uh, a lot of newsletters. So right. Uh, yeah. The I guess the most famous one is the uh, JavaScript Weekly. Is that right? Yeah. So. He has JavaScript Weekly. He has Node Weekly. Ruby mm-hmm. Weekly. He has many of these, and he mostly does them himself, which is amazing amounts of effort. Right, which is tons of email to, to do that too. So, yeah, much sure. respect for him to do that. So, yeah, I can really keep up. Great. It's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. So, cool. uh, so uh, like, what did you find um, topics of conversation at, uh, at Fluent? Well, one of the conversations that just kept popping up, um, maybe because we had a, a no frameworks table, mm-hmm. um, was that people are. There are a lot of people who are using frameworks to build applications, but don't necessarily know how they work underneath. Mm-hmm. And the results of that can be really awkward. So um, there's kind of, there are a few different names for it. I mentioned the no frameworks table. Sometimes I hear about vanilla, vanilla JS. Right. But roughly the idea is that when you're going to use JavaScript, um, basically write it yourself. Um, the days when we really needed something like jQuery to, to wrap the differences uh, among browsers away have, uh, have largely faded as things have gotten more standard. Uh, the amount of stuff you can do with frameworks has grown, but so has the, the size of the frameworks and the amount you have to learn actually to use a framework. Um, or in the case of React, the framework itself is small, but there's a lot to know to figure out how to integrate it. So um, I think we're seeing kind of a, a stepping back from some of the, oh, my favorite framework. It just came out last week. It doesn't use semicolons um, kind of conversation. Yeah, I, I've been sensing that too, that people just wanting to roll their own thing. So rather than trying to rely on like jQuery or some sort of, like I said, framework before. So it's, yeah. I yeah. See, I, a friend of mine was suggesting that there's kind of a simplification coming to the web that we've like hit mm-hmm. a point of complexity where things need to kind of stop and stabilize. And right. I think he was thinking that we were all going to pick one framework and live in it. Um, right. I think that's really wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do, you know, I have a regular sense from people that the pile has grown too large okay. and that, you know, we're actively trying to trim down to something that works. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think there's maybe there's like a I, I hate to say, hate to use this phrase, but the inflection point. That yeah, the browsers have come so far that the need for those frameworks to uh, you know duct tape us to a certain point to build apps and to, to do all that sort of, uh, are they're still required to some degree, but not as much as before. So we're able to to actually wrap our own you know solutions almost faster and better. I mean, not better, but faster. Or, yeah. or a little bit slower, but you know, just you know, we don't really need that. And and with the overhead of uh, you know the, the frameworks that you have to deal with, and we're dealing with performance issues, it's it, it becomes a serious matter all of a sudden that we have to think about you know our payloads in terms of what's what's it going to take to get down to a pipe. You know, if someone has you know has a large site, and so um, and I hate to I hate to be that guy to say this, but. Uh, we just got Google Fiber installed it's okay. at our home home office. I don't, uh, 
and you uh it's really weird like i think in some ways it, it, it made me um see that of course google on youtube is blazingly fast like as soon as the page starts loading the video is re- is playing there's no buffering right but if I go to other sites that you know aren't as you know developer heavy you know as a background or as all these engineers uh, as you as uh, google would have or youtube would have and i go to other sites you know they have to download all these assets. I mean, they're third-party assets that aren't on CDNs or whatnot. And you could tell, like, uh, visibly, like, which sites aren't built for performance and which sites are, you know, even though this, their server might be slow, but, you know, it still takes a while for these things to load and get the render in the, in the browser. And so it's it's been kind of an uh, eye-awakening experience or, like, just awakening experience. They see that there is a difference between uh, bad coding and good coding on the right. web, even if you have a fast connection. So, so yeah, I just and being able to pick, you know, or drop a vanilla, uh, drop a framework for a vanilla JavaScript, I can see is make is uh, makes a good case for that. So. Well, I'm happy to hear that you can see that difference at the high end of the bandwidth scale. My usual way of testing it is this ancient old cell phone. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've basically trained myself to look away when I hit a link and then come back to it in a minute. Right. Um, but then I like I hit a plain HTML link the other day and everything was there instantly and I was like, whoa, this phone is fast. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of issues around performance. I think there are also a lot of issues around maintenance. Mm-hmm. And there was a while, um, sort of early in the framework world, but so jQuery kind of got people used to the idea that there might be other people who would come along and fix their code uh, without them having to maintain it all. And then, you know, Angular does all of these different things, and it's awesome because you kind of get these more things when there's an update. Um, But over the last few years, I'm hearing more, um, okay, I'm not maintaining my own code anymore, but I'm still watching other people's code. And as, like, the number of dependencies increases, it hits your load time, but it also hits just, okay, this is broken. I have no idea where. Right. Um, so when you do have a maintenance headache, it's a much worse headache than it used to be. Right. Yeah. So I can see that being a big, a big issue going forward. So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. At the same time, though, so I, I, I've been sort of knocking on Angular here. Um, yeah. It was really clear at Fluent that Angular is far from dead. Yeah. Uh, there is, I think they had sort of a wobble when they went from Angular 1 to Angular 2. And, uh, Instead of people going, wow, that's great new stuff, they kind of went, whoa, that's different. I don't know. Um, I so, think so Angular- what, what happened from one to two? I I don't really use Angular day to day, so I've I don't know. changed a lot of directives. They rearchitected a whole lot of the structure. I, you know, when I sit back and look at them, the new version is a lot cleaner, but right. that took a lot of change to get there. I think what happened culturally is that a lot of people adopted Angular 1 thinking, it's Angular, it's Google, it'll be totally stable and here forever, like Google Reader or something. Um, no. Um, and then, you know, they they were surprised when it changed more than they expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a way, Angular 2 is probably the more real Angular, like it might be a better time to adopt it if that's the kind of thing you want. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's that jump. So Angular 2 was really kind of settled. We had uh, Brad Green give a keynote. 
Uh, we had some smaller sessions, uh, which were completely packed. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. On Angular 2, and we had a, a meetup so people could like talk with the, the developers. Um, it seems like it seems like the web development community is kind of frag fragmenting into clusters around different programming styles. And Angular is kind of for the people who want like to program through a framework primarily. Um, you want primarily to think about Angular rather than thinking about the various web parts underneath and which piece of JavaScript is talking to which. Um, React is more for the people who are uh, happy to have one piece of the problem solved. And I think there are actually some cool architectural things about the way React deals with the DOM. Um, but then the vanilla JS people are like, man, take me back to this age of hand tools. I want to make this stuff go. I don't want to be worrying about what Facebook decides is right for React or Google thinks is right for Angular. Um, you could see these people sitting at the same lunch table pretty happily, unless they were maybe at one of the framework tables. Um, but at the same time, like it, it seems like the approaches are really kind of splitting out. So we got the Jets and the Sharks going out and there'll be... Kind of. So, yeah. And we do have jQuery 3 on the rise, so we may see yet another, another gang. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I don't know much about jQuery 3, but it's just um, the details about it, but it's just uh, my, my knee-jerk reaction would be like, would people just be jumping in jQuery 3 because they've been using jQuery for so long? And, I think that's most of it, yeah. Yeah, so and they, they don't, don't know. It would be a giant jQuery revival. Yeah. Uh, I'd be kind of happy in some ways, but I... That would be weird. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, anything else at Fluent? Yeah. So we tried to add a lot more design stuff, mm -hmm. and we did add a lot more design stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure kind of what the what the reaction was going to be. Like what type um, of design stuff are you talking about? Like, um, one of my favorite titles was UX Insights from a Drunk Guy. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, it was a pretty wide ranging set of stuff. Um, some of it was uh, as much like graphic stuff as it was uh, design stuff specifically. Mm. Um, some of it was accessibility, style guides, uh, mm. typography is always a favorite mm. topic. Yep. Um, but it was a pretty wide range at a conference that still tilts more towards programmers, and okay. the programmers seem to really enjoy it. Um, I think there are a lot of people who think you should be able to do design and programming, um, and there are a few unicorns who can do that. Right. But a lot of it, honestly, is just being able to speak each other's languages. And I think that worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's it's about languages, but it's also, I think, uh, just mutual respect a lot of the time, too. It's I, I still hear uh, horror stories of people, just designers speaking to engineers, and engineers just saying, like, you know, you just add on a layer pretty, you know, on top of, you know, my app that I, that I built that works and some of that, too. So it's... Yeah, I mean, to some degree, it is speaking the languages, and I totally get that. I think that's that helps you build trust, and I, I think it gets you most of the way there. But it's still you, you, both sides need to have an attitude of like we're building cool things and building great things, and um, and hopefully everyone does have that. You know, that's that goes you know, to a long way of helping out to build great stuff. You know, cool stuff. So, um, but yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I I think mutual respect helps. I think there's also an increasing realization that it's not just pretty. Yeah. Um, one of the points the UX folks have done really well is mm. uh, that design isn't just about uh, 
decoration mm-hmm. and really the idea that the the flow of an interface, the way that people use it, the way what they expect to get out of it right. is a design thing as well. Right. Um, I think about some tools that I use all the time, and they were clearly built by people who have no sense of what an interface should be, except we'll stick some buttons here in a field, and you can ask anything you want, right? That'll be great. Um, I think we're I think we're getting past that. I was happy at Fluent that the conversations were were friendly. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I totally. I think if you haven't seen the growth within the last year or two, you know that design is being, you know, intricate. There's like companies just, just I don't know, if, I want to say buying, but like hiring. I guess hiring is a better term. Hiring just swaths of designers, you know, they're out there that because uh, they know that they can't, they they need to have design. They have, they have that UX flow that that you know, it probably is part of their uh, their products that they're selling now. So we do. They can't just put something out and. Uh, expect people to like want to to um, you know push buttons all day and try to learn how how to make it make it work. So, but yeah, one of, one of the companies I've seen on this is IBM, which seems to be really trying to make design like central. And it's nice to see IBM talking about design in ways that aren't just their logo. <laughs> yeah, they they had a we'll get into it in a, in a second, but they had a really good presence at South by Southwest this year. So, but uh, but yeah, so. Cool. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I'm wondering about um, is less on the design developer side, but more on the web native side. Okay. Um, I think I sent you a quote from somebody. This is like an offhand piece in inter- Internet of Things thing, talking about how you know standardization just has its own gravity, and people are getting tired of these native apps, and it's all shifting web. Um, and I don't see that happening quite as fast as that suggested. But at the same time, like. It's really cool that you can write a web app and wrap it up in Cordoba or whatever to sell it through an app store. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not hearing those conversations anymore. Like I don't I think the app store gold rush is over. Yeah. And that's changing the way we look at the web. I hope in a good way. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But um like I'm even thinking the last time I was at South by Southwest, it was like there were panels on is the web dead? Coming yeah. soon to iPhone. <laughs> It's that kind of yeah. Shit. I, I think I've seen just more within the last this week. I guess I'm not sure it's stop by, but just this week of sub, sub software sub, sub, subscription services than I have before. And uh, actually, I kind of like um, railed against this. Uh, and um, there's Mac apps uh, that I've been using for at least a year, if not more, that I just totally love. And they've decided just to go subscription, uh, versus which is crazy because I just it costs like ten dollars or twenty dollars or whatever for right. this, for this app, and now the now it's going to cost me sixty to a hundred dollars per year just to use it. So whoa, that's not yeah. just a change in model; that's a massive price increase. Right. I mean, and they've they've bundled everything, you know. So instead of like buying everything at once and you know upgrading eventually. You know, I have they bundle everything to one software thing, and I have to buy everything at once. And then, even if I don't use all of it, you know, so, so yeah, so it's and that's just one software subscription service. And then and there's like a whole bunch. Of, so, like, I just see everyone going subscription and uh, various, you know, and it's kind of making me freak out a little bit. And then I feel like, you know, we have Thanksgiving Day, we have uh, 
you know, buy everything you can see on sale on Friday, Black Friday. And then um, Saturday is, uh, I think, the day we're just like, get rid of all your subscription services. Go right. your, it just whittle it down. Like, so, so you have Thursday, which is like, it was on Friday, Black Friday. You also have like, no, don't buy anything day, which is like, right. Well, small business Saturday now. I'm thinking it's got to be the Sunday, like yeah. slim down Sunday, subscription, su- subscription ending Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So then you have like, you know, get your computer ready, get your account ready, get rid of some accounts because then you have Cyber Monday, right? So that's like you buy everything right. you should have bought on Friday on, on Monday. So, <laughs> yes. But like, so like Sunday, maybe like uh, upgrade your browser if you haven't already, you know, your parents' browser before you leave the house and then uh, uh, get rid of subscriptions because I think just it's, it's going crazy with subscriptions and some of that. But yeah, I, I feel like web apps in general, they're, they're just making, uh, a stronger case. I don't think the stronger case, but I think with you know responsive web design, multi-device yes. apps. I think that's. I think maybe we've broken the code. Maybe we've broken the, the code to to do that now. So it's pretty pretty good. So. Well, I think uh, so. That ties into kind of one of the other keynotes at Fluent. We had one on progressive web apps from Alex Russell, who's been telling the story. Um, it's an interesting blend of kind of classic mobile tools. Um, it's actually really similar to the list of stuff in Estelle Weil's mobile HTML5 book, except that at the time uh, we were using this hideous app cache thing for local storage, and the options there have improved dramatically. Um, so Alex is now comfortable saying, you know, we can build these apps as a service worker. It, it goes to your to your uh, homepage icon, and it looks like an app. It is an app, but really it's a web thing, and nobody sees that. Um, and I think that's got power. Um, I think if that, I don't think Apple's going to be really enthusiastic about doing that on the iPhone, uh, but we'll see, you know, how that all plays out. Um, I just, I feel like a lot of these walls are coming down. Yeah. And mostly to the web's favor. favor. So uh, I, I think that's a, Something I wasn't really forecasting a year ago. We'll see. Yeah, it just seems like it's kind of weird because, but uh, I always like Kyle Simpson's uh, Gitify quote, which is always bet on JavaScript. Uh, yes. You know, so, but, uh, so, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, never bet against the internet. You can't compete with Google. Always right. bet on JavaScript. Right. So, but definitely. So I, I feel like that's a sense. Of, I think I think it's just so much easier. I think the only thing we have to compete against is this trained. Uh, I guess uh, experience that when you tell someone about your your website or your app, your web app, that you have to uh, tell them that it's not an app that you can buy in the app store. You know? right. so, so that's the only bad thing. I think we've tra- Apple and and um, Android, uh, Google have trained people so too well uh, to just get an app from the app store and some of that too. So yeah, that's part of why I'm excited about what Alex does. Cause he is at Google and they do have this app store and he managed yeah. to get this through. So oh, yeah. I hope Apple has a similar, uh, person. That'd be, that'd be cool. Okay. So, so it's actually an app that you actually, so yeah, I guess you rich your, your progressive website app. Yeah. Google, so, okay. Cool. I didn't know that's yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know about that. And it's stuff that works as a site as well. And progressive enhancement is part of the checklist. And mm. they, they they thought about these things. Responsive web design makes it possible. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, hopefully Apple is up, up for that. But uh, I don't know. But uh, so yeah, because the only way I could think you could cheat is just have a a web UI like framework just as an Apple thing and just 
launch right. a web browser. That'd be like kind of a silly. Well, it's kind of what PhoneGap does anyway. Right. I don't think Apple wants to make that easier. Right. Um, oh, the other thing that was kind of fun was some conversation about Electron. Um, you played with Electron at all? No, no. What is it? So it's it's probably best known. I think Slack uses it for one of its desktop things. Uh, the Atom Editor from GitHub uses Electron. And basically, it gives you a window and the stuff you expect in a desktop app. But all the stuff that you do for the logic of it is web stuff. Um, there's another thing, NWJS, uh, that I've been playing with for building desktop apps with web stuff. Um, Node really opens a lot of these doors in strange ways. Um, I just, I don't know. I always hated working in Xcode. And I'm sort of hoping that all this stuff means I never have to look at Xcode again. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'll be that lucky, but it's it's good to dream. Okay, cool. So Electron, build cross-platform desktop apps with web technologies. That is, uh, sounds pretty sweet. Pretty awesome. It is. It is. It's a little different from the progressive web app stuff, but you can pretty easily put your app logic into that. So Okay, awesome. That's pretty nice. Cool. Uh, cool. So, any, other, any other discussions? Um, other than that, there were a fair number of people going from Fluent to South by Southwest, which is where oh, we wow. were. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I was here, um, and it was, yeah, you know, let's see. Let's, it was look, huge. It was huge, yeah. It was a little different for me. This is first time no one, I, I just, a few people I knew uh, came in, and by few, I met, you know, I could count friends or colleagues I've known forever. Uh, the people I knew, like, I can count on, I couldn't go past five people I knew that were coming into town for uh, South by Southwest. So it was, it was kind of weird to have that happen. So it seems like the old, old guard, you know, wasn't around anymore. So, right. yeah. And that was, that was kind of weird. So, but, uh, but some things, yeah. Um, the big push a year ago was, I think, uh, wearables, you know, you yes. have your Apple watches, your Android watches. None of that was really around. Uh, this year, uh, okay. so like, but the big push I felt like uh, Samsung had more of a um, polished push for the products. I think they knew what they wanted to do this year, and that was and my my, my beef. If you listen to the show before, I mean, so my beef with Samsung, and I, I'm an Apple fanboy, which is which means I'm kind of indebted into their. I'm like, can right. I get out of their ecosystem? You know, I can't. It's like I'm I'm totally in. So I, so I have that bias, but uh, so my bias is that. Samsung can't compete with uh, Apple in terms of user experience, even though user experience is kind of like wobble right now. But they can't compete on hardware. So you saw the big push on uh, the, the hardware for the, their new phone, and also, and probably to a bigger degree, the VR, the virtual reality experience. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of that push uh, this year for virtual reality, um, and also Samsung has a 360 degree camera. So yeah. coming out. So there's a lot of a lot of that. A lot of VR coming out. Um, I even saw VR at McDonald's uh, front uh, this year, which is kind of kind of crazy. Didn't ha- McDonald's wasn't here? They had the M Loft. So right, there was no uh, McDonald's per se directly, but um, but they actually had like you could actually walk into their loft. I'm using air quotes in case people can't hear me. See, see those, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So it was. Um, and uh, they had the virtual reality thing where you, it was very simple. It felt kind of rushed, put together, no, no offense. But it was a simple paint, a VR. It seemed like a simple VR paint tool. Um, and you just 
paint the inside of a Happy Meal box, and then you could just print it off or whatever like that. But uh, okay. it was really cool because yeah, I just walked up and you know it really kind of sold me a lot more on VR because I've been kind of a curmudgeon about VR, just having done uh, you know VR markup languages in the past. Yes, I remember <laughs> VRML. Yeah, and so uh, I remember the book. Moments. You know, it was about this thick, about thick of a as thick as a Big Mac. You know, pretty much. Uh, right. Uh, but um, but yeah, so I, I had a good time with that. I, even though it was like kind of super cheesy, but I felt like it, you know, with hardware being so much better than it was like twenty years ago and everything, I was like, oh, this is you know, it's pretty nice. Uh, so it was VR was a big big topic this year, um, and also, uh, and I talked about you know MLoft, right? But I felt like the uh, the uh, the company pitches, the offsite experiences were a lot more, um, I guess, for a better word, uh, pitch perfect, if you will. Uh, okay. More in tune. Uh, there wasn't that much outcry that I saw from from companies uh, being weird. Like, like last year, McDonald's uh, didn't want to pay the artists, the bands that showed up to play for, at their gigs. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so this year, I didn't hear anything about that. Okay. Um, um, and I enjoyed the McDonald's experience. I have, I'll actually have something to say about uh, McDonald's in my blog a little bit later on, but. Uh, uh, so I'm a little biased about that, but I enjoyed the, the experience. Uh, I um, didn't go to do too much. I did a few things, maybe because I wasn't um, personally. I've been I was sick earlier in the year, so I kind of bogged down with work. But what I did see is, you know, it seemed like a more refined South by ex- experience. So and I felt like they kind of cut down on their um, content offerings. This year, and I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, there was, was a lot. Yes, tour buses to all the hotels got complicated, or no? They actually streamlined the buses this year too. So instead oh, of good. instead of having like five different buses, they actually had um, uh, two buses, two bus lanes uh, circling and going around. And they they also they also moved gaming to be in the Austin Convention Center instead of being at the Palmer. And, okay, and so it was. They actually used Palmer, I think, as a venue space, which is, I think, how they could have Obama come in, which is like the the big thing right. that made national news is that Obama came for South by Southwest. And so I feel like, you know, having your, a sitting president come in to deliver a keynote, you know, Q&A or you know, Q&A, a Q, keynote address is just, I don't think that's a sign of a, of a interactive conference slowing down <laughs> at all. It's just like, no. <laughs> so I think it's a really great feather in their cap and they just really commend everyone who who pulled it off and so i think that was i think it was pretty awesome um you know it was kind of chaotic a little bit for the traffic but i think they they did a great job with traffic in austin for uh, at least one day so i'll, yeah, I'll so, confess and all my time as a conference organizer it never occurred to me to ask the president for a keynote so <laughs> it's just yeah well it's you know it's they've been leading up they've, they've had a lot of great political uh figures in the past five, seven, ten years, yeah. Um, so it's you know they've you know they and you know that you know I think and then you have a like I hate you know, lame duck sit, sitting president I guess we will who doesn't have to run for office you know right. to, so so yeah it's pretty good. I will say like I enjoyed having him here in South by because it's it's always nice to have the president come to your city. Yes, uh, but unless uh, you're sitting in traffic, but unless yeah. you're sitting in traffic. Uh, but what he had to say about electronic rights and digital rights, I felt like was really kind of not what the crowd, I think, would want to hear. 
We do have to make sure, given the power of the internet and how much our lives are digitalized, that it is narrow and it is constrained and that there's oversight. Uh, and and I, I'm confident this is uh, something that we can solve, but we're gonna need the tech community, software designers, people who care deeply about this stuff to help us solve it. Because what will happen is if, 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 if everybody goes to their respective corners and, and the tech community says, you know what, we, we, either we have strong, perfect encryption or else it's Big Brother and an Orwellian world, uh, what you'll find is that after you know, uh, something really bad happens, the politics of this will swing and it will become sloppy and rushed and it will go through Congress in ways that have not been thought through. And then you really will have a dangerous to, to, to our civil liberties because we will have not done, the, the, the people who understand this best and who care most about privacy and civil liberties have, have sort of uh, disengaged. It was one thing if there's a software already created and Apple's just being like, no, which is also in their rights to say no, but, it's also, but the government's asking them to create software to enter the back door and to open up the a cell phone, which is, you know, right. is, is that like, you know, say, you know, servitude or whatnot, what you have you like, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't really. I, well, I, I enjoyed reading Apple's response to the department yeah. of justice. That was great. Um, I just marvel. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the Apple ecosystem, uh, yeah. not an Apple fan particularly anymore, but, no. but they're lawyers. Those guys, those guys got my attention. That was good. Yeah. How so? Um, well, they actually went back to like what that Ritz Act was all about, and and what the I can't read C A L E A, and and why that explicitly excluded uh, people who were making equipment. Um, you can ask phone companies to do things, but that doesn't mean you can ask people who make phones to do things. And mm. it just was, it was really well done. Yeah, I, I read it in a heavy jet lag cloud, so it's possible that you know. <laughs> it, at the time, it looked great. Yeah, I just, I just feel like it's, it's opening kind of worms, and it's not like the sense that like other companies or other governments aren't hacking. It just feel like you know, right? We've got to come up with a scenario where this is a people's. In my, in my view, it's my opinion. Just like, you know, we have you know human rights. You know that the government uh, is not in charge of, but there's also digital rights that you know the stuff that I create. Uh, if I choose to put on Facebook, it's because I choose to put on Facebook and get tracked and whatnot. Uh, just because I create something in digital form does that mean that, you know, and I put it in a secure place doesn't mean, uh, you know, the government has a right to come and ask for it unless they have a warrant or something or. Right. Warrants are or, nice. That's yeah. basically the point. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. So, has to be e warrant. And the thing is also, we, there has to be some educational process because I feel like a lot of stuff Congress is doing is by old people who don't. Answer their own emails, uh, you know, their secretaries and the interns. So I feel a lot of this stuff is like hopefully we can get a new wave of uh, educate, you know, governments, you know, uh, or politicians into the mix. Things would be great. So I don't know, things would be better. I hope. I don't know, but uh, I got there's myself. Always, there's always a lag. Um, mm -hmm. Stuff that worries me here is mostly that we're asking, like Apple, to do things that might be okay in the U.S. where we trust we have warrants and all of these other things. Right. But 
Um, yeah, I don't really want that happening in other places where they don't have those protections, but we right. don't need to care about that. So <laughs> depressing. Yeah, it's well, it's, yeah, it's, well, that's what makes a America so awesome. America. Go America! But uh, but dude, it's just like uh, yeah, it just you know maybe hopefully that will transcend. I mean, I, I was actually talking to someone who works for v, VPNs, and one of his things is to help uh, China activists, yeah. you know, be more secure. So that was like one. A, I was having that conversation at South by Southwest, which is totally normal uh, that you run into someone doing cool stuff like that. But uh, that's just you know. I'm glad he's doing those that type of work. So it's just, and it's kind of amazing what you ran into that. But um, so yeah, so so I think what he had to say didn't really would not as a, as a president. I was like I would feel a bit better if he was not saying those things uh, in terms of terms of in terms of the digital area. So but that he was there was still cool. So. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, and then um, yeah, it's had a lot of issues. So um, but I did like his plea to help uh, get people. Involved in uh, upgrading the, the the country in terms of digital work and programming and software because it it needs more help in that area a lot. So uh, especially when you you have you know the lowest bidder usually winning up contracts and stuff like that. So you're not going to yes. get the greatest. But even things that people pay a huge amount for, yeah. there's yes, yeah. So um, let's see what else. On here, so. It really is remarkable what low quality levels we tolerate in software. I just <laughs> we do some things beautifully, but there is so much out there, and so much of the web is like private intranet stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we think of all the the stuff on top as the web, but it's really like all these buried layers. Yeah, so much of it is so bad. We got to work on that. Um, and then he also mentioned that there's a try to bring Wi-Fi. Into low low income housing rural areas. Areas. Problem is homes. There was a story in the New York Times about a month ago that had a couple of kids from McAllen, a brother and sister, standing outside their school building into the wee hours of the night, having to do their homework on their phones, using the Wi-Fi from the school after hours because they had no Wi-Fi at home. Which is is why this is 2016. Which is why we set up something called Opportunity Networks that is going to go into public housing rural communities, low-income communities, right. to make sure that access is available precisely so those young people You're going to try to solve this problem. I, I'm trying to solve every problem, but what I'm... <laughs> but, but, but here... Got to have a goal, I understand. Yeah, yeah, but, but here's... Right. Here's the point that I want to make. Yeah. These are solvable problems, but it's not a matter of us passively waiting for... Uh, somebody else to solve it. And and that's part of the mindset that I'm trying to break. Which is great. However, I could not find this organization. It's called Opportunity Network. And I could not find anywhere where they exist. Okay. So um, I found Opportunity Network as a place for young kids, for academics, but right. I'm, I'm not sure if Wi-Fi is like on their agenda yeah. or whatnot. But I don't know if he was... Confusing with another another area, but uh, I like the idea. But I don't. Uh, but I couldn't, uh, you know, find out more about it. So that yeah, was around here. It's mostly the state conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the state gave uh, the town I live in uh, money to put up towers to to do uh, rural Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you just got Google Fiber. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I just upgraded my uh, cable modem because Time Warner was charging me too much money to rent it. That was yeah, which is and I, I took in the old modem, and they're like, "Are you sure you don't want our faster service for only twenty dollars a month?" And I'm like, "The service you give me is crap and overpriced already. Right? You really think I want to pay you another twenty bucks a month? I don't think yeah. so." Yeah, it's yeah. The funny thing is, like, we canceled, we cut the cord on cable as well at the same day. Right. I, it was just like the total Time Warner nightmare or whatever. It's just like the same day we had Google Fiber installed, we we just cut the cable, uh, all, everything at once. That's brave. Tur- tur- turned in all the equipment that same day, which is crazy. And then <laughs> uh, and then the next day we got uh, in mail. Uh, we, we can upgrade your Wi-Fi by like like twenty percent more, like like twenty times more. I've uh, seen your speed meter on on Google Fiber. Yeah. I. Don't think anybody's going to give you anything better than. Oh no, no, it's it's not so. But yeah, so it's it's been it's, you know, I, I felt like uh, internet, not of like Google Fiber quality, but that'd be awesome. Is that when you talked uh, about the stimulus way back six years, six seven years ago, right? And we talked about infrastructure or shovel ready jobs. I was like, you know, have a big interstate program that you had during the depression, uh, just laying down fiber. Uh, yeah. for everyone just go across I mean just a great undertaking uh, probably spends overspend on it probably but Google Fiber I think if you know I'm pretty sure like hopefully within 100 years 60, 80 years people will still be able to use it uh, maybe it'll be something better faster going along but at still at those speeds you should be able to enjoy video you should be able to enjoy a whole lot of things uh, that you could you know you know instead of just Rely on you know copper you know lines in, in for telephones or something like that. So so yeah, it's just, that's yeah. why I felt like you know, if I was in charge, Simon, that's why I'd be that's cool. Money and yeah. Time Warner Cable and Comcast and all of those guys would hate you. They would hate me, and I would uh, still invite them to the White House every once in a while. So that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I am I'm I'm a, I'm a consensus builder, and that people need to hang out in part at the White House more often. Okay, but that's fine. But uh, I mean, other than that, um, you know, like I said, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't spend that much time at Southwest this year, but did see a lot of uh, stuff about VR. Um, I did see Pee Wee's new movie, Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and that's on Netflix right now. So I recommend everyone checking that one out. It's really funny. Uh, <laughs> so, and so yeah, that's about it for for that. Wow. So very cool though. Yeah, yeah, I need to see the new movie. I I've always been a Pee Wee fan. There yeah. was, yes, um, yeah. And so the uh, co-writer, the writers are uh, Paul Rubens and um, the co-star of Love, the uh, co-lead of I forgot his name already, but he's funny. Um, so they both wrote it, and then uh, and then Judd Apatow uh, helped fund it and produce it for Netflix. And so they're all at the uh, premiere of uh, that I saw. Mm. And, uh, it was great. So, but so uh, it lives up to your expectations from past Pee Wee Adventures. You know, I've never been a big Pee Wee fan. Okay, uh, but I uh, MF. But I know people who are Pee Wee fans. Let me just okay. say that politely. Uh, There's something darkly subversive about it. I, I like it. It sort of irritates me on one level, oh, yeah. but then I sort of like get amused at my own irritation. I don't even know how to describe it. Right. Well, I will say I busted out Billy laughs. Good during, during this movie, and oh, Paul Rust. Is the guy's the co-writer? He's I uh, he's one of my 
new favorite writers, so comedy writers. So I, I will look, always look forward to what he has to put out. So, but uh, Paul Russ and Paul Rubens. So definitely check cool. that out. But uh, other than that, um, I don't know what else. Any other changes? And uh, was wow. it live talk about SVGs at the? Uh, yes. So thank of, you for you know Sarah Drasner did really well at the CSS Summit, CSS DevConf with you guys, and then SVG Summit, and mm-hmm. she keynoted Fluent. She gave a talk at Fluent. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, SVG is really like I waited all of these years. I actually yeah. introduced it by talking about the book I published in 2002. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy that it's like come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, you know, I, I feel like uh, the browsers and people working with it aren't quite sure how it fits in their expectations of like, I'll just drop a JPEG here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's growing fast. Um, I, that was that was really a highlight, um, and I think actually a lot of people were surprised in her talk by what it was capable of. Oh wow! Okay, um, I think a lot of JavaScript folks sort of think of Canvas as the place you go to do real stuff because oh, of yeah, yeah. SVG is like markup. Uh, maybe it's code, but it's not programming. I don't know. It's that kind of divide. But you know, the conversation after her keynote was really just like, okay, I got to go check that out. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome! Yeah, Sarah does a. Great, great job, and, and I think yeah, it's nice to see SVG finally come to its own. So that's pretty, pretty nice. It's, and uh, uh, and I wrote an article just for my blog, just about fave icons. That was sort of just like I just want to write down because I just had, I'm making a new site. I was like, I just need to write down. And in my research, you know, and I wrote this before, but uh, I just found out that you could do SVGs for some browsers for fave icons, which totally blew my brains. That would make me really happy. I just there are so many of these little things that I would love to have be SVG. I did have a bit of a challenge last night. I was trying to copy and paste an image of a book apart cover, and on their site it's all SVG, but the browser doesn't know copy image for that. So yeah, it's all good. I found pictures, Um, (laughs) but you know, I just that was one of those corners where I just I don't think we've caught up to what this means yet. it's also funny. So SVG is one of my South by Southwest memories. I can't remember who it was, but he gave a talk on like creating stained glass stuff with SVG. It wasn't real stained glass. It was like giant sheets of plastic he put up on store windows to like build installations. Um, but I think he was brutally abusing Adobe Illustrator, um, <laughs> and he was doing to get his separations, and he was generating it all with crazy code. I just if, if people take SVG seriously. I think we're going to see like a whole round of stuff that nobody's even thought of yet. Right. Yeah. There's SVG two coming. And so I need to learn about that and talk to someone about that and see what that's all about. But uh, but yeah, cool. Yeah. It's all in motion. Um, The other sort of less artistic thing. um, O'Reilly has a salary survey going on for web developers. Um, I'll put the link in show notes or something. Yeah. Send send it off to me. Yeah. Um, But if you just do a search for like O'Reilly web developer salary survey, you'll find it. Okay. Uh, just trying to get a sense of the current state of the, the market. And there's a lot of questions there too. Like actually one of them came straight from uh, CSS DevConf. Yeah. There was an interesting divide in the audience in New Orleans between people who built sites and then walked away to build the next site, like your yes. agency folks. Yeah, we talked about that and, last time. Yeah. Yeah, and the maintainers. Mm-hmm. So that question's in the survey. I'm I'm curious to see what we find. Yeah, and so and a list of parties that used to do a survey, but I'm not sure if they've done one. In a while, so their surveys have always been great. So hopefully they do. Stack Overflow yeah. just did one, and like oh, yeah. 
45% of their respondents identified as a web developer in some form. Right. So I need to go through that more closely too. Okay, cool. Definitely. Okay, cool. So our homework is to fill out the survey. And uh, what are you working on next besides recovering from Fluent? Oh, recovering is good. Um, the big thing I'm pushing right now is trading. So like one of the things at Fluent that really took off was we had these two-day intensive trainings. Yeah. Um, people did look a little like it was intense by the end of day two, but that's okay. Um, I think they, from the reviews, it looks like they all learned and we'll check in with them later. Um, so I think we're probably going to go into some more events that are sort of deeper dive and okay. see, see where that goes. Okay. Uh, there's a lot to figure out there. Um, but, you know, as awesome as Fluent is, it's like two days of half hour sessions and you get a lot really fast. <laughs> and um, I think people need to, actually, I think there's a general thing because like there's this whole sort of framework fatigue, workflow fatigue. JavaScript fatigue, like too many things are happening too fast. And so people are like, I built this like Tower of Babel thing and I need to like cool it down. Um, and I think in events, there's something similar, like how much information can you really absorb in a 48 hour period um, and retain? You might absorb it for five minutes, but so yeah, so that's kind of the direction I'm looking is, you know, what things, what things do people really need that kind of depth on? Cool. Awesome. So cool. Well, look, check in with you next time and see where you are with that. Great. So, cool. So, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest. I'm Simon STL, S I M O N STL. Um, the same address at O'Reilly.com gets to me too. So, okay, awesome. And then uh, I'll tweet the, the link to the survey, but if you also tweet link there and we'll put in the show notes too for the survey as well. So, okay, cool. For people. And, and I'm on the Twitter as well. Uh, you can find me at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. So cool. Thanks, Simon, for being with us. Always happy to see you. Okay, cool. Awesome. Till next time.